Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's episode, we're joined by former SAS soldier Jay Morton. You're going to hear a candid, first-hand account on how Brian Budd earned his Victoria Cross in Afghanistan. And we're going to go a little deeper into the mindset of a Special Forces soldier and find out how you can apply that mindset to everyday life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, joining me today is former SAS soldier, two-time Everest summiter, race car driver, TV star, surfer and author of the book titled Soldier. His intro reads a little bit like a made-up Tinder bio. <laughs> no. Jay Morton, thanks for coming, wish mate. It was. I wish it was. Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, we'll get into your book and sort of talk mm-hmm. our way through it um, shortly because obviously um, you know, there's some quite important bits through there that we want to dissect. The first thing I want to dissect is the way you start your day every day. <laughs> <laughs> what? what are you doing? Um you mean the bin, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean the bin, yeah. yeah. This, what are you doing? What are you thinking? This gets the most curiosity ever, the bin thing. Yeah, are you sick of answering this question yet? No, no, no. I think more people need to bin, to be honest. Yeah. Um, do you know what? Like, I've always been into, like, cold water and stress and, and keeping healthy and physical fitness and all that stuff that comes under that kind of bracket. Mm. Um, and, yeah, do you know what? Like, when, I, when I've always got into cold water, you always get out feeling like so much better um so yeah i just i just thought yeah sod it i'm gonna get the recycling bin so it's the recycling bin so it usually just has like leaves and and branches and stuff like that in it um empty that out clean it and then fill it with water so every morning yeah the alarm goes off and first thing i do is jump in that bin wow how do you what why why so what's the what is there is there some sort of um thinking behind it or some sort of like science behind it yeah like you know, cold water has so many benefits, like scientific benefits. But for me, it's more just being able to like get out of bed. So you you get out of your warm bed and the first thing you do is expose yourself to cold water or stress or whatever you want to call it. Mm. It's like, so the days that I don't bin, I find that I just, they're just not as productive as the days that I do bin. Really? Yeah. I kind of, the main thing that I've learned about it is if I can make the choice to get into that bin in the morning, then every other decision after that is easy because right. that was almost the hardest decision to make that day. What about the days that, and you can read about, and I read about this in your book, what about the days that you struggle with motivation to do that? Like mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Um, like I think everyone struggles with motivation. Like myself, yeah, I constantly struggle with motivation. Do you know what? I think building in systems or like routines or habits or whatever you want to call them is like really important. Uh, so those days that I do struggle with motivation, I know that going to the gym or getting in the bin is just the same as waking up in the morning or making a cup of coffee. Getting in the bin. Because it's- can't get used to hearing it. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> I've, um, yeah, I, I seem to have coined it. It's quite nice to see everyone else getting in bins though. I, I seem to get sent quite a lot of 
videos on social media of people getting in the bin. Yeah, I was looking on uh, Amazon for a bin, but they didn't have really? them in the right size. What you need about two forty, two fifty liters. Yeah, mine's. Do you know what? Mine's not that big, but I'm I'm kind of five foot ten. What What are the actual? You mentioned like the scientific benefits. Mm. What What are they? Yeah, like I'm no scientist, so don't hold me to it. But like you know, increase you get that increased uh, blood flow to your body and brain, um, like endorphins and. You get cold shock proteins from them. So similar to going in a sauna, you get heat shock proteins. I believe, someone can quote me on this, but it's it's like a stress to your body. So say, when, you know, when you work out, that's a stress to your body. Your body becomes stronger from it. Right. So a cold shock protein is almost similar. It's like a stress and your body releases endorphins or dopamine as a result. So you feel better. Right. Okay. But I've now got, I've not, like during lockdown, I bought a sauna. So I can now do the sauna and then get straight in the bin and do like sauna bin sessions. Hot cold sessions. Yeah. And honestly, Andy, right. Regardless of like health benefits and how wacky it is and all that, all that stuff. Like if I'm having like a bad day, right. And you, you talk about those days where you struggle for motivation or just like a day where you're just not feeling a hundred percent or whatever it is. If I crank that sauna on and do, 30 minute sauna and then get in that bin for like five minutes. Honest, like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I've just come out of like 90 degrees straight into that, into that bin. Like nothing can touch me. So, you know, I just thought, thought that you were just jumping in the bin and that was it. And you jump out. No, dude, so, good, a good, like, like in the morning I'll do like four to five minutes. Um, let's talk about your book. Um, soldier is the name of it. Mm. The, uh, chapters do you want to break it down tell me tell me how it's how, how it's sort of set up yeah like do you know what like um just before the kind of setup of the book it was i kind of gone through everything that i'd learned in in my military career and you look back on all the situations that you've been in and all that kind of stuff and it was that was probably the hardest thing because like i just had this idea that we could break down soldier and put the chapters as each word each letter of soldier meaning something it, we'll we'll break down each chapter as yeah. we go. I think the the self bit, um, obviously, is the first chapter. That's where you talk about the wheelie bin and you yeah. talk about surfing. You talk about looking after yourself, um, and that that's kind of what that is, isn't it? Self. Mm. Yeah, it's about more just about under, understanding yourself and a bit of like looking into yourself and going like, right, I know that if I get up every morning, get in a wheelie bin, meditate, that for the rest of that day. Like I'm firing, like I'm at 110% for the rest of that day. If I don't do that and I hit the snooze button and I have an extra half an hour in bed, you know, get up, have some shitty breakfast or whatever, then I'm not going to be at 110%. But then it's all about, you know, understanding how you fit into a team. And if you understand your characteristics as a person and your personality type, then you'll be able to get the best out of yourself in a team. Put you put people in two different personalities, don't you? Drainers and radiators. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Drains, drains and, radiators. and radiators. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I love that. That's everything. Drains and radiators. People act like, but people are either a drain or a radiator, right? And you know that when you instantly meet them. So like drains are like, you know, I can name a few few drains off the top of my head, but it's they're like constantly negative, like always making excuses. Um. You know, just just neg. You can just feel that negative energy just mm. bring you down almost. And then radiators are just obviously it explains it, right? They radiate yeah. everything. They they're uh, they're positive people. They're good people to be around. 
always see the good in everything, always see the good in other people. And I think throughout my life, like I've always tried to cut away the drains and just tried to surround myself with as, as many radiators as possible. Then you go to O. O is for opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Um, your first overseas tour in 2006. Mm-hmm. How big of an opportunity was that for you in the scheme of things and the way that your life has panned out now? Yeah, I think um, I think even joining the paras and joining the military, like um, like that shaped my future pretty much. Actually, before before we go on with, let's talk about quickly just about paras because I know you're going to say paras a bit, and and just explain who the paras are for someone that isn't into their military. Uh, yeah, so it's just the the parachute regiment. Um, so they are an airborne infantry unit. Um, so the, the primary job of those would be to parachute out of a plane in, in kind of hot, in, in kind of more dangerous areas than say a, a mobile or on foot infantry unit would, would come through. Yeah. And that, and it's, they're really hard to get into as well. And yeah, there's kind a selection of, process. Exactly. And then, and then there's the, the kind of, the arrivals of the Marines really. That's okay. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like paras are like, they all pretty much do the same job these days, but paras are seen as jump out the sky, land-based operations, and then Marines are seen as come in ships and naval-style operations. Right. And then if we go back to, yeah, the opportunity that you had in mm-hmm. 2006, it it led on to everything else that's followed. Mm. Yeah, like, all this was out of my hand, hands, right? It was forced. I, I decided to join the military. But then, you know, Afghanistan kicked off, and, and we were the, the first troops into Afghanistan in 2006. And that actually turned into like a massive, you know, six months of constant fighting. Um, and I was like 20 years old. So it's... Grow up quick. Yeah. So for, for like a 20 year old, just being, you know, part of like, I wouldn't even call it a team. I call it a family. You know, we had, you know, platoon sergeant Dan Jarvie, who was, you know, a massive figure. And, um, you know, one of the greatest people that I've ever served under. Um, and we just became really tight and... I know you learn a lot about life and yourself and other people when bullets are flying around. So yeah, like I always think, I always look look back on that 2006 tour and, and I say in the book, it's probably one of the, it's hard to say best tours that I've, that I've done because that's probably the wrong word for it, but it's, pro- it's probably the one that stands out for me as being one of the, the greatest. Um. Again, greatest is probably not the right word. Just because, but when you're talking about you and your development, yeah. it's definitely the best tour. Of course, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. And then that kind of from being there, um, kind of led on to you then getting going for selection and the mm. SAS, and then the SAS, um, you get thrown into the mountain, yeah, section. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that the right term? The mountain, yeah, section? mountain troop. Mountain but, troop. But again, that was like another thing that was completely out of my hands, and at the time was like a, I felt like it was a bad decision, right? Like I didn't want to go to mountain troop, um, but just by how everything works out when you turn up at the squadron, I ended up in mountain troop, and again, like never skied, never climbed, never done. You know, I'm a kid from Preston. Uh, grew up drinking cider on the streets kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like that kind of developed a passion for skiing, for climbing. That led me to go to Germany to train to be a mountain guide. That then led to the high altitude expeditions, which led to, you know, summit Everest twice, 
helping some friends set up a clothing business and it's all all has a knock on mm. effect right all these whether it's a bad whether it feels like a bad choice at that time yeah. it all has a, a knock on effect further down the line there's a point that i think you kind of make is that none of them were really your choice but nonetheless they were a massive opportunity yeah and and that's kind of what people can miss sometimes because they don't see something as their choice they don't take the opportunity yeah and like do you know like i never started i never started from from anything kind of thing like if anything i was at a disadvantage because i went to school and just hated school and went to college and hated college and for me looking back on what i was like then it was like i thought the world was against me right because that's what you, you get forced to believe you have to do Go to school, go to college, get a job, get a salary, get a pension. Don't feel like you're fit, don't I? Yeah, but like you're a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, which, like, the army gave me that outlet to put my energy into something different. Um, so yeah, it was. It was like I just took opportunities when they arose, and those opportunities led me down like a path that I would have never thought I would have been going down when I was that you know eighteen year old kid mm-hmm. walking into the careers office. But like just being in a place where boredom and mediocrity scare me more than anything else. Mm. So like my opportunities are all about getting away from that. Um, so it's all about being open to opportunities, being able to spot them, understand that it's a good thing to be able to take them and, and they lead you down a, a different path. So L is for leadership, right? Mm-hmm. We're spelling out soldier if you hadn't clicked on already. You break this down into six categories. Mm-hmm. Um, look in, mm-hmm. look out look up, look down, look forward and look back. Um, do you want to quickly sort of run through why they, what those mean? Yeah, it was just, again, just trying to break down. Um, do you know, I've been fortunate to have like really good leaders or, or come under really good people uh, during my career and also seen some serious shit at the same time. Um, shit leaders or shit things you've seen? Shit, both, both but yeah. shit, more, more lead like the leadership kind of thing. So I've kind of been privy to both, which has been great because I've just been able to go right, don't do that, do that. Um, so yeah, the kind of you know, it's it's like being a leader, being being observant, right, and the the look in or the look forward, look back, look up, look down. Look, mm. That's all about being observant, um, and not just observant looking through your eyes, but. You know, it's the whole, <clears throat> a good leader should be looking forward. He should be looking where he needs to be, what's ahead of him in, in the future. He should be looking back, um, understanding where he's come, his triumphs, his failures, learning from them and adjusting. Um, looking up is all about, you know, obviously the, the people that you come under, you always have a boss and a, a hierarchy in the military. So you need to keep them, those guys happy and understand where, where you and your team fit into that. Um, cause that's the, you know, the higher up you go, the, that's the mission, right? And everyone's working towards that same mission. Um, so you need to understand that you're all on this aligned path on this same mission, regardless of what it is. And then looking down is your team. So it's, it's being, it's being, that's the, the most important part, right? Is cause a leader shouldn't really have to do anything like his team. You know, if he's got confidence and he's got a good team, then the team does everything right. Mm. And by looking down, you're not talking about looking down on your team. Nah, it's you're just it's it's a, a figure of speech, right? It's yeah. it's just saying that the, those are the people that, that that you look after. 
but yeah, you know, it's all about being personable with your team because, like I said, your team will, will carry you through everything, right? So it's about knowing each individual on a personal level um, and understanding like where they fit into the team, right? Understanding their strengths, their weaknesses. You know, everyone works differently and that team should also be aspiring to be leaders at the same time, but not getting in the way. The last two is look in and look out and that's all about yourself and similar to that self chapter is looking into yourself and understanding yourself and your values and, and, and what you're like as a leader and where you need to improve and where you need to um, understanding your weaknesses and, and getting people to cover those right and then obviously looking out as well as just everyone around you Brian Bad mm-hmm. he's someone that you talk about uh, as a leader that you look up to more than most I would say um, can you tell me about him and what made him such a good leader and some examples of what you witnessed and and who he was as well for people listening yeah sure i mean a bit of context on brian brian was a para as well um served in the pathfinder platoon and three para and he came to us quite late on uh when we were on the 2006 tour or he came to three para quite late on um because he he came from pf um what's pf so pathfinder platoon so it's uh brigade recce platoon um so yeah, Brian was killed in killed on the twentieth of August two thousand and six in Sangin. Um, so Brian was a section commander in my platoon, so one platoon. Um, but yeah, just like a just an awesome role model as a person, an absolute ultimate professional. I don't think I've ever met anyone as professional as him. Just just inspiring, right, to be around and for like a a young kind of. 20-year-old kid who'd not really had many male role, role models growing up. He was like the perfect kind of male role model. You know, I just, I remember like, because we were, we were based in Sangin quite a lot, which was, you know, if, in, in Afghanistan, that was like the worst place to be ever, pretty much. A lot of death, a lot of people got killed there. Not so much when we were there, but I think afterwards it was kind of the cursed place. But we spent the majority of that six months in Sangin. And uh, yeah, it was just, like I was his, I was his two IC for a little bit, and I remember just, I remember coming under camp contact one day. So, obviously, he was like right at the front, and uh, he'd spotted some guys just like, like with weapons. I think three guys like walking across an open ground. We were quite fortunate, so he'd he'd like sprung an attack on him. And I remember like speaking to him, going like, "Brian, what's going on? What go, what's going on?" And like his voice was just, his voice was the same in contact as it was out. He, he he could have been down the pub telling a story. He could have been like, you know, taking his last last few steps on like a, an assault through a doorway right. kind of thing. And his voice was just like, was just like mellow. Just like, like came back with clear crystal words. And I was just like, right, okay. Jay, you wouldn't believe this. I just want to uh, knock yeah. over a couple of telebanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like uber professional. So yeah, like I was just, like I just saw that and just went, that's that's what I want to be like. And uh, I remember kind of after he died, you know, that was that was a pretty hellish day, but... You were there, weren't you? Yeah, in Sangin, so in the DC. So we were probably like 200 metres across the road, just blowing some holes in in walls just to be able to get a clear line of sight into this area where we were uh, receiving quite a lot of, like, wombat fire. So a big wombat shell, they were just firing it, firing it every night just before it went dark uh, from this same same area. So it was just to get a line of sight. And... Uh, Brian's section had gone, like they were clearing a little bit into the, 
like a little bit further away from the the district center and in some kind of like bushy and overgrown areas um and yeah his his section came under fire from a taliban area uh whilst they were going through some uh cornfields and the cornfields were kind of you know like way above your head kind of thing you can't see left or right one of the guys a good friend of mine he got shot through shot took took the end of his nose off and took a little bit of chunk well took a chunk of his shoulder off another guy got shot i think just through his arm i think two or three of them got shot brian's gone forward uh and just kind of dealt with the dealt with the threat uh three taliban guys uh he he took took fire like going forward and yeah like when when i found him he had like um i might get this wrong but he had like a couple of bullet wounds on him Obviously, the rest of his sections pulled back, and now they're getting on the radio to to say that you know they've taken fire from this area. I think at that time, an Apache came over and just started putting some uh, suppressing fire down. So the Apaches were like like awesome out in Afghanistan because literally as soon as they came out, everyone all all the, all the enemy just kind of went went to ground and hid because because their like their the accuracy of their fire was so good. And then yeah, we kind of like like our section was tasked to go through this cornfield and kind of retrace the steps that his section did. Yeah. We, we put some fire down and then pushed forward and like kind of lined up on this cornfield and all just went into this cornfield and we're like pushing through this cornfield, literally didn't know left or right. Who was, you, you just like pushing through all this dust and, and corn got through it quite quick. I popped out at the other end and just, there was no one around. We had to just like look forward and could just spotted Bry he was like, um, in like a little, like ditch like a water ditch um obviously not moving dead um and then like there was like some uh some dead dudes around him so yeah i just went up to him and like grabbed him and obviously by that time like he he was obviously completely dead um so just started trying to do first aid on him which you, you always do mm. uh, but like looking back retrospectively it's like he's gone um and then yeah like luckily another one of the lads cork he just poked his head through and and I shouted him over, he came over. Um and yeah, luckily we didn't receive any incoming because we would have been pretty fucked because we were just in the open. And then um it was just me and Corky then. I think everyone got stuck in this cornfield. And then uh yeah, just like twenty years old, just trying to lug this dead body on my shoulder and realised how heavy it was. And there was another uh platoon that was pushing through just to give us support. Got it on this big jock lad's shoulder and extracted with him. Wow. Mm. There was um, an incident where he um, he was awarded the VC. Mm. Can you talk to me about what, what he did? Yeah, so he got awarded the VC for both. So for that, for going forward. Right, there's two citations, right? That's right, yeah. There's yeah. that one and then, so, and then there's another one where he, he showed immense leadership as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, he basically went forward, ended up grenading some, some building and... Um, yeah, we got we got jumped on the way back into um back to the the camp, the DC that we were staying in. I think his section were up front. I was the section behind and I think they got well they got jumped jumped going back in and uh they managed to kill a few guys, get them into this building. Grenade like Brian grenaded into the building and they cleared that and um it just meant that we could get back into into the DC. So much danger in in this. Is it, the whole thing is dangerous, right? Yeah. The whole tour is dangerous. The whole concept is dangerous. As far as dealing with danger in your head, 
is there something that you is there something you're aware of that you're able to control or is there a process that you use to deal with that, those situations do, do you know what like um like i'm human right i'm just the same like we all are we're all human beings and we all think feel and do all the same things and you know i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that i was never not scared in any of those situations like obviously fear is a completely human natural reaction to something that's going on um but it's almost like th- there's no time to you don't have time to like let fear creep in and take over because that's when you know you're going to have a meltdown and you know curl up and curl up on the floor in a in an emotional mess so there's no time for that right you can't let that shit get in and um it's more about right you're in a situation here and you know you've got to deal with that situation to be able to get out of there safely and that's that's the logical thinking right there um fear kind of creeps in right at the start of anything so if you're like walking and you think everything's safe and then next minute an explosion goes off or you get opened up on that that initial moment that's probably when fear creeps in the most but then you're into you're into something then aren't you it's like you start planning something and you've yeah you've some rounds have cracked over your head it's like everyone's safe we're all behind cover then you can start planning your attack and going through what you need to do Mm. um you know the early days of afghanistan they're like really long drawn out contacts so we might have gone out to clear an area during the day and we might not come back into like kind of you know afternoon time we might have been out sat in contact for like four to six hours mortifier like it was like pretty full-on um and then as you go into the the special forces stuff it's more of you go out and that contact might last five seconds and then it's done and then you extract come back there's different stages right Mm. and the closer you are to it yeah your ass twitches a little bit but you've got to focus on what you've got to do to be able to make sure everyone's safe and you get out of that situation what's a condor moment um so a condor moment's just like a, a moment in in a scrap or an attack where you as a leader, you just pull back, you just stop, stop what you're doing, pull back. The team's got everything sorted, right? Team's putting it, putting fire down onto the enemy. Enemy's not firing back. You can step back and just go, right, what do we need to do? Just take a complete, take yourself out of the situation and just go, right, what do we need to do? Right, let's look at this. I'm going to take two of my best guys. We're going to go around the right-hand side. We're going to use that wall and, and attack from that side. So it's basically just, a moment where you can take yourself out of a stressful situation and just just observe right what's going on because usually there's usually a good reason whether it's in a contact or whether it's you know in your civilian life there's a good reason for that stress and you can't you can't see that reason because you're torn up so torn up in what's going on but if you just stop and just take yourself out there and just go right what do i need to do oh, i've got to send that email oh, i've got to just call that person and get that conversation out of the way hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There was an incident on Everest. Like, I mean, Everest was a bit of a breeze for you the first time you went up there. Uh, the second time you went up there, you had there was a bit of an issue that led to you having to do a little bit of trekking on yourself by yourself yeah. at night. Um, how do you how did you put that into practice then? Or can you tell me about um, the situation and how you got through it? Yeah, sure. So we'd uh, so this was this was last year. So this was the, the second attempt, and um, it's quite a tricky time because of the weather. You basically get a weather window to summit. So you go up, do your acclimatization, come down, chill at base camp, and then you get a weather window. And you generally, you you always get one weather window, sometimes get two, rarely get three. So you've got to almost like pick when you want your team to go up. Right. And this weather window, we'd all acclimatized, all sat at base camp, like a good good team of like, you know, some, some experience in the group. And this weather window just appeared out of nowhere, but we didn't have the resources high up really to climb. <clears throat> but I had a group of the lads and they were just like, Jay, we need to get up there. Um. So I was like, right, get it. Let's just go and chance it. And I'll take the strongest guys and we'll see how we get on. So we set off, went through, went through the Kumbu Icefall. And because we made the decision so late in the day, you generally, on your summit push, you'll leave base camp to get to camp two. You climb all the way through one to two. You leave around three, four in the morning. You climb through, because the Kumbu is the most dangerous part or one of it. So you want to climb through whilst the sun's not hitting it. Because as soon as the sun hits, all those massive ice blocks start moving. So like if you can get through whilst it's still cold, everything's still frozen. And then you get to camp to around, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. So we decided, right, we made the decision late. We're going to climb all the way through, get to camp to like super late, like 10 o'clock at night, and then leave camp to the next day to do three all the way up to the summit. So we'd set off maybe about three in the afternoon um, and we got to the top of the Kumbu and one of the climbers um, started coughing up some blood, which is like classic, uh, you know, something wrong with his lungs, whatever it is. So I kind of said to the rest of the lads, right, you you guys crack on. There's some good experience in you. Get to camp two, rest. Um, we'll stay on comms with the radio and I'll stay with Geth. Um and the plan was that we get to camp one and everyone bypasses camp one. So you've got all these empty tents that are just sat there for kind of emergency and storage or whatever. So I was like, right, we'll get to camp one, get Geth in there, get him warm, um, get one of the Sherpas to come down from two, like warm water, like food, all that stuff, spend the night. Because at least that way, right, if there was a Sherpa there, I could crack onto camp two, climb with the lads, the Sherpa could take him back down to base camp. And Geth's quite experienced, the, the lad who was coughing up blood. So he kind of knew that he didn't need to go down immediately, but this could be a, a developing problem. It was kind of getting dark by the time we got to the, to this tent in Camp 1. I kind of put all the clothes on that I could find. And uh, the tent's the same temperature as outside. It doesn't get any warmer. 
So as the sun went down around camp one, it, it gets to around like minus 20, minus 25. And yeah, I was like, I was body popping. I was freezing, like just could not generate enough body temperature. You know, I'd eaten all my food, drank all my water because we were just plowing straight through to camp two. And uh, there was fresh snowfall, which didn't help because all the tracks going up to camp two were just covered in fresh snow. Um, so you, you sank in when you walked up them. So like that delayed the Sherpa getting down. So by the time our Sherpas got down, it's like 11, 12 at night. It's freezing outside and I'm body popping. And that draws the energy out of you, right? What's body popping? Sorry. Just like freezing. Right. Uh, it's Shaking. like a military, yeah, it's a military uh, term. So shivering, uncontrollable shivering. Yeah. So early stages of hypothermia. Um, so yeah, like Sherpa comes in. I was like, right, I just need to go now. But obviously that drains, that drains all your energy. And at that altitude, you can't go fast enough to generate enough body temperature because you can't, you've not got the energy or the oxygen to do it. So I'm like one step in front of the other. I've got everything, all my clothing on. And like, I'm still not, I'm still shivering whilst I'm walking, which is like, like, like I'm, I can consider myself like a, you know, strong character, like strong mentally, physically, uh, understand my limits, but like at altitude that, it can change quite quite rapidly depending on the situation. And this was a bad situation. I was just taking one step in front of the other and then, yeah, like I, I, like it gets steeper just towards the end up to camp two. And I was just, I was looking at it from like quite a comical point of view, right? And I was just like, I can just imagine the lads waking up the next day and just like hearing that there's a body found just below camp two and just going down and then they come down and it's me. <laughs> um, it's, it's not it's not a fact <laughs> kind of is <laughs> yeah you got some some dark humor that comes out of the military yeah. world, isn't there? <laughs> i could just imagine well um it, yeah i'd like to think they'd be gutted but who knows <laughs> <laughs> um, but you ended up you ended up pushing through though didn't you yeah like i was fine well, obviously and then, you're here yeah i was fine and then i got yeah i just remember looking back on that right and I genuinely don't think I've been that fucked in my life. Really? Yeah. Like, like concerned whilst I was walking, just because I couldn't generate temperature. And that like, as hypothermia kicks in, you just fatigue more. And then, you know, you, you hear these stories. It's like guys just sit down and then that's them. And that's like what stage mm. I was at, right? So it is, it's not really that funny because I was just trying my hardest not to sit down and, and, and give up essentially. Um, the moment you sit down, you're fucked, right? Yeah, but you, my fucking legs, like, I've never, honestly, I've never been that fucked in my life. And I've been to some dark places. Um, and then, yeah, like, we, we woke up the next day and obviously, like, I'm leading the expedition, so I'm, like, just trying to put a brave face on, but we decided to, to crack on that day and go up to Camp 3 and my body was just like, eh-eh, like, you're not doing that. And I got, I could tell as well, I was, like, looking around, the lads looked pretty fucked. And I was pretty fucked too. And uh, got up to like halfway up to camp three. And I just remember thinking, need the toilet. So like, there's no one around. So you just like pull over to the side, pull your summit suit down and, and go. And uh, toes, yeah. number twos. Mate, it was, it was like a tear in that, oh. <laughs> that cup. And then that was me. Like I couldn't move for like a good hour. We were all stood there. We were getting cold. The sun was going down. And I was just like, one after the other, after the other, after the other. My body was just like... Shutting down on you. Yeah, you're not going higher than this, mate. And in, in a way, it was a good thing because 
I had like a bit of a camp split. A few of the lads saying saying they were going to go up high, and I kind of looked at one of my best mates, Tom, at the time. Well, he still is now, but he's like super strong. He's, he's he's special forces as well, and just like he went, mate, if you're going down, I'll come down with you. And I was just like, yeah, let's go down, mate. That's like, I think we're all fucked. And actually, you know, if we declined, like no one, no one ended up reaching the summit because um, the Sherpas couldn't fix the lines going up to the summit. So everyone that tried to get up, I think there was like one or two, two or three like solo solo alpinists that managed to get to the summit, but the rest of the guys didn't make it. And you had your condor moment where you sort of sat there and thought the yeah, snow is a bit, probably you know, fresh snow. Yeah, be- between kind of, you know, shit two and shit three, I was just like, right, <laughs> looked around everyone's faces. I was like, yeah, and you pull yourself back and like look at everyone and everyone looked pretty fucked and I was just like, I'm not feeling this. And it was just like, right, I, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go up. I'm going to go down. Um, feel free to go up if you, th- if you think you're strong enough, but that's on your head kind of thing. So in the in the book, you talk a lot about intelligence, which is actually the, the eye for soldier. Um and part of the intelligence building exercise is asking seven questions. Do you want to go through those seven questions? And you can just sort of give your thoughts on, or give me a sort of a, a background on each question. So the first question that you guys ask when you're building intelligence, and you can relate this to civilian life as well, um, but you can just talk through it. What What are the enemy doing and why? Yeah, so just like the seven questions is just, is a, is a military estimate process, which um, you can apply to absolutely anything. And it covers all bases. It's around how do I formulate a plan from this uh, problem? So it's all about solutions and problems. Uh, so yeah, the first question, uh, what are the enemy enemy doing and why? The way it is written out is that you now need to go away and just go, right, what's the enemy doing and why? So you put down as much information down as possible on what the enemy are doing and you know, you you can take enemy out and put and change that with whatever you want. So it might just be what is a competitor doing and why. Um, it might be, you know, what is someone in my team doing and why. It might be what do we need to do to create this product and why. But yeah, if you think of the military one, you're just trying to get a basic understanding of what the problem is and what it's doing and how that affects you. What have I been told to do and why? So yeah, so that comes from your mission statement. So in the military, you'd be given, as a team, you get given a mission. So you have to understand that mission, right? So you understand what the enemy are doing, and then you understand what I've been asked to do. So again, you can put that into any context. So if it's, you know, building a product, right, where do I fit in 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 building this product? Where do we as a team fit in in building this product? And again, it's a an exercise that's designed to just be as creative as you can with your mind and just get as much information down as possible on paper or on a computer or whatever, whatever you need to do. As far as the the special forces go, like when it comes to being highly trained professionals, mm-hmm. it doesn't really get much higher, much more highly trained than that. As far as like maintaining that on a day to day basis. How do you not let your standards slip? There's there's a a load of answers there. And I think just being, you know, like everyone who was in the special forces wants to be in the special forces. So they all want to, you know, 
excel at whatever they're doing. They're already high performing individuals before they get in because they, they want to get to that next step, which is, you know, the pinnacle of being in the special forces or whatever. Um, so you, you're surrounded by this group of people that are all trying to get better at shooting, get stronger in the gym, be faster at running, um, be more strategically sound, more tactically sound, drive faster in the cars, like whatever, whatever it is. Like it's the fucking biggest bunch of competitive like alpha males you could ever be around. Um, so that drives performance, right? Just being around those people, those like-minded individuals that are in the gym at 6 a.m., they're lifting weights, they're running. Um, they don't give a fuck if it's raining. They're just out there anyway. Um, you know, they, they, you know, Friday after we finish work, we go down to the range and shoot steals for an hour. It's, it's being surrounded by that, that family of people that are all just doing exactly the same. Mm. And like, if you slip and you let, you put your handbrake on, like, you know, people will see it and like people fucking stamp on you and, and push you out of the way to get to the next position. So in the friendliest of manners, they, they, they deserve the right to, cause you know, you're being shit or whatever. So, um, you know, in the special forces, that's, that's, that's it. It's, it's being around, being around others that push you and, and, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be, you want to be better than all them guys at the same time. So it's, uh, it's internal. When you, when you, when you cross this over into, into civilian world, cause obviously you don't have that alpha male mm. elite best of the best, um, environment in, in, in most other workplaces. And I think there's a story about Van Halen. Is it Van yeah. Halen? The, the, the M&M thing. The m and Yeah. So on their rider, yeah, they would explain that they wanted all like whatever it is, like a load, have a a load, load, of, a load of, yeah. of chicks, like some condoms, some yeah. like crack cocaine or whatever it is. Yeah, and that that one of their thing would be like M and M's, but they they wanted all the the brown M and M's removed. And when they turned up to do a gig, obviously a massive gig, they go through the M and M's, and if they found one brown M and M in this jar of M&Ms they would do a full check on absolutely everything because they knew that one thing that they've been asked you know that they've been asked to do on the rider wasn't done correctly there's probably gonna be more things or other things that are gonna have a detriment to their gig it's like the broken windows theory what's the broken windows theory um so if there's a broken window on a house if you leave it then there's a good chance that all the windows are going to be broken in the next 12 months. If you fix it, all the windows are going to be fixed in the, in the next 12 months. It's basically just explaining that you need to sweep your shit up. And if you don't sweep your shit up, then everything else slacks. And it's like, I say, like, I say like how we do everything is how we do anything. Or you can say it the other way. How we do anything is how we do everything. It goes back to the bin, right? It's like, that's my morning. I get up, get in the bin, meditate, like work out or whatever. I look after myself, look after my body, eat healthy food. Like I think this about, like I live in the countryside, right? And it it fucking annoys me because every piece of litter I walk past is like cigarette packet, McDonald's, fucking can of Coke. Like it's all shit. And it's like classic, it's like classic, right? That person doesn't look after their body. They eat shit. So they don't look after the world as a knock on effect. They obviously don't look after the car because they've just unloaded all the crap in the car out onto the countryside. Like everything has a knock on effect, right? So if you're fucking really lazy in one area, i.e. your body or your mind, there's a good chance you're going to be lazy in other areas like business or, or whatever it is. 
It's so right. All the litter is always shit. Shit. You never see, right? You never see an organic fucking meridian peanut butter or like you don't, right? You don't see like healthy food lying around. Yeah. It's shit. Yeah. You never fucking see a, a green tea bag. No, never. <laughs> There's a, have you seen that um, clip on YouTube about the Navy SEAL guy talking about? Jocko. When he's talking about making his bed? Yes. That's, all, that's an awesome video. So it's the same thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's that's the, that's the same principle, right? If you start off the day by making your bed, start off your day by doing one small task, then the next task becomes easier. Yeah. And then you, all of a sudden you've ticked off a whole lot of different tasks. Yeah. And then he's like, and even if you are having a crappy day, at least you come back and your bed's made. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You um, in, in the book as well, you talk about um, resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more books I read, especially from guys in the, uh, that have been in the SAS, that you all talk about how resilience isn't really something you're born with. It's mm-hmm. something that you learn um, and it, it's something that, you know, you're, you're consciously applying mm-hmm. rather than going, oh, you know, just trudging on through because you're naturally resilient. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how, do you, how do you consciously apply resilience and how do you learn it? And can you sort of, I'm a, I don't know, give me some stories about how you've had to... Um, consciously apply resilience in the past yeah i think um you know that's like one of the biggest the biggest takeaways from i think any military person's life that is so like prevalent right now in the world is resilience because you know like you were saying then like none of us in the military were ever born with resilience we just chose a career path that that gave us resilience and it was almost out of not having choice right it's like when you you join the military because you want to you want you want to do it and you go on all these like grim exercises where you don't get any sleep and you, you're working at night and you're out in the pissing rain and or whatever, you know, snow, whatever horrendous weather conditions there are on eating rations and you build up humor around that. Um, and then you go overseas, deploy, like, you know, go on operations and you're constantly doing things that essentially just making you stronger to everything else, which is what resilience is. Um so we kind of, we have it as a byproduct, but like, if you think of like life right now, like every, we all just live in these houses, we all just live in, you know, these safe boxes, like you don't walk out in the street and see, I mean, sometimes you do, see someone getting killed or something like that, depends where you are, but um, it's not something we're exposed to every day, um, even bad weather, you know, you, you leave your house, you get on the tube, you've got an umbrella, you've got warm clothes. We never get exposed to stuff to make us resilient, but everyone wants to be resilient. Mm. It's like it's like the main question, Jay, how can I be more resilient? It's no like, again, it's no like secret formula to it. It is constant exposure to difficult or stressful things. People say like, why'd you get in the bin? I'm like, because it makes me more resilient. And that has a knock-on effect to how my day looks. Like if I can make that decision to get in the bin in the morning, then I can make decisions way easier throughout the day and if I get caught out in a shower it's like whatever or if it's cold I'm like whatever if if you want to be more, more resilient it's just about taking a choice to choose the difficult over the easy and that might just be you know like I'm probably a little bit different to most but it could just be like walking instead of getting the tube when it's raining or it could just be you know cold showers brilliant could just be quitting alcohol if like that's a difficult thing for you to do 
he quit alcohol for a month. It's like, oh, we're going to wrap things up now. It's uh, you, you've gone too far, <laughs> mate. You're preaching now. You're preaching. <laughs> but as in, all right, chocolate or whatever it is, whatever you see as 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 a difficult task, right? Because like I've tried, you know, I've tried quitting alcohol. I don't drink much, but like it's hard, right? Mm. When you go out with your mates and they're like, mate, do you want a beer? And you're like, mm, I'm not drinking. Yeah. And they're like, what? It's just one, mate. But like, then you quit, right? And, the, and, you, and you have that one beer. But like, if you said no and, oh, mate, no, I'm just, I'm just having a month off it. Like that's building resilience. So it's, it's those choices that we make throughout the day that you can apply to your, to your life that'll, that'll make you more resilient. And then when the world's gone to shit, right? When, when that when, happens. When we're all on lockdown and like whatever's going on in whatever political realm of the world, it's like that stuff just floats off your shoulder like water off a duck's back. Finally, like in the, in the book you talk about, I, mean, I don't know how helpful this is going to be to anyone that listens to this, um, but I found it really, really interesting. Mm. Um, you talk about, because on selection and on who dares wins, SAS who dares wins, you have to go through interrogation. Mm. And you give your top 10 tips for going through interrogation, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Like, yeah. no, no one, not, most people aren't ever going to have to be interrogated. But I'm just going to rattle know. through them. You never know. You never know. <laughs> um, you never know. So I'm just going to rattle through them. And I just want you to sort of explain or give me a kind of explanation behind each one. So number one, under the Geneva Convention, you only have to give four bits of information. So you're in, you, you've been interrogated, you're yeah. captured. Um, you've gone on your overseas holiday, you've yeah. been captured. Yeah, um, Croatia. In Croatia. Nothing wrong with Croatia, by the way. Yeah, you're in Havar or something, somewhere nice, and you've suddenly been detained and they're interrogating you because they think you're a spy or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about the Geneva Convention and the four bits of information. Yeah, so it's basically just... So obviously, like it's quite old school, but like the, that was like originally what the only thing that you could give was the four, you, you know, name, rank, number. So, you know, army number, whatever that is, name, mm-hmm. like Jay Morton, whatever the rank of if you and date of birth. Number two, beware of kindness and gentle questioning. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the fucker on interrogation, is it? Yeah, because like if someone's screaming and shouting in your face, you know where you stand. You've got an aggressive person who's being aggressive to you. Because this is part of interrogation. You get all aspects of, of, you know, after you've been, like when we do it on selection, we obviously go on the run for, for a week, covering like, you know, 30 kilometers every night with minimal kind of navigation kit. And it's like pissing down with rain. It's, it's Wales or wherever you're doing it. Um, you're in your element. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got your Yeah, building resilience. Yeah, so if someone's shouting at you, you know where you stand, right? it's an aggressive person you can you can curl up into a ball and go all um you know go fawn and just not not be reactive and people generally aren't going to get information from you if, if they're doing that whereas they're like oh mate how's it going like here's a hot cup of tea like those shoes look a bit tight do you want a, another set do you want to dry your feet off like you're instantly instantly going to tell that person way more information than someone who's screaming and shouting hot tea in your face let that be a lesson to you when you go on holiday to uh, you think you get nabbed. <laughs> Number three, resist letting the interrogators build rapport with you. Yeah. Well, Same that's like, you know, you're probably in that, you know, you're in that country for a reason. Like you don't, you know, the last thing that they, they want to do is, you know, get all that information from you. So it's about building a rapport, but at the same time, just not, you don't want to feel like you've built a rapport with that person, but that person wants to feel like they've built a rapport with you. So you can get free stuff off them and like easy treatment, that kind of stuff. 
because like you know life can be tough under interrogation but at the same time like what's that what's that syndrome called in a way you get captured and you end up oh, falling Stockholm Stockholm syndrome it's like you don't want to get Stockholm syndrome at the same time yeah fall in love with your captors yeah number four but we are twist of the four cops the four cops there's the good cop bad cop cold cop and mm. naive cop yeah yeah it's just you know it's just the different psychological ways that um an interrogator will will try and get information from you what's the naive cop and that is someone who's naive just yeah. believes everything that you say but all these things can th- right if you're fatigued knackered and you've, you've been captured by a, a different country like like any of those could just throw you off even if some, someone's believing everything that you say because it'll lead you into saying more and talking more and then before you know you've just given away information number five knowing in advance some of the psychological tricks now you read the book you're all you're all sorted <laughs> that's why on selection or that's you know the fighter pilots and all that kind of stuff we go through that interrogation phase so that you know you know that if you're captured you know exactly what to do you know a good cop or someone that's being nice to you you know you know how that feels and you know how, how it feels internally and what information you're not or are going to give number six don't say words like no or yes when offered a cup of tea yeah why is that? Words like yes. So so that the captors can create any kind of propaganda that shows you saying whatever they deem necessary at that so time. So if they say, do you want a cup of tea? And you say yes. They could be saying, they could do, you, that do you agree with, um, you know, captors that are being held in whatever prison? Yes. Right. And then they could send, put that into their media and broadcast it out. Which is what happens. Right. It does happen, does it? It has. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's... I'm not going to read them all out because you can read the book. The last one, though, I think this is quite an important one and it fits in really well with everything we've talked about. Take yourself away mentally as much as possible. Yeah, because, you know, that's probably going to be the one of the most stressful situations you'll ever be in and it's important just to, just to have that happy place in your head where, you know, you can just take yourself to whether it's... And I remember doing mine, like I remember reading an SAS book years ago and this guy built a house in his head and I just did it right. And before long, 10 hours had gone or whatever it was, cause you've not got time. But before long, I was like, God, like it actually, like it works. Built like, a house. In yeah, I built a house. So like. While you're being interrogated, is that the whole. Nah, like, cause you go back and you get put in stress positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So whilst I was in these, you, you know, you're hallucinating. We had this like, um, we had this. Arabic music just playing constantly on a loop and um at the end of it they asked they asked us how long they thought it was and I was like what do you mean how long we thought it was I was like it's it different music and he's like no nah, it's like a one minute 30 loop and I was hearing like my, my name in it and all sorts like it was it was talking to me like going Jay like <laughs> I was hearing all sorts I was like hearing my parents like everything in this like loop of this this music and uh I don't even think there are any words in it um so yeah like you just take yourself off in your head and just uh like i built a, i built a whole house like from foundations to where i was going to buy the land to turning up and like doing the deal with the estate agent and uh building each room and like what you'd have in it and i could take like some serious time up in your head oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so i'm doing now in this podcast wow yeah and i was just, just i was actually up. just thinking about the estate agent i was like what's he wearing <laughs> That's what I mean. You can go as deep into it as possible. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Look at that. Yeah. What happens now? 
Well, Jay, thank you very much for joining me, mate. Really, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. If you like the sound of this uh, interview, make sure you get Jay's new book. It's called Soldier. It is an amazing read. They call it a masterclass in mindset, strategy, and excellence. Um, likewise, if you like this interview, make sure you hit subscribe and leave us a review and tell me what you thought of Jay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.